0: If you'd like to open up your Bibles, and we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one who receives the prize... ...run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, least when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Amen.
1: To be in the house of God. Father God, I thank you. Your word says that they were joyful when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. That's because, Lord, you have things for your people. You have food for your sheep. And Father God, we're asking today that, Father, you will feed us You'll feed us the word that I need. You'll feed the people the word that they need. That in this message, in this time I'm going to speak, Father, each and every person that's here will know that you have said something marvelous to them today. To encourage, to correct, to exhort, strengthen, to heal. Do it for your name's sake, Lord, in Jesus' name. This passage, Paul says, Let those that run, those who run in a race, all run. And I want to speak about how the Christian life, the Christian life is, and I've said this many times, you've heard many sermons on this probably, but it is a fact that the Christian life is a race. It is a race. And many times in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul referred to it a race. At the end of his life, he said, I've fought the fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. In, in the book of Hebrews, he says, let us run this race with endurance. So by that, we can figure out the Christian life is not only a race, but what type of race it is. It is a marathon race. It is not a sprint race. It is not a middle distance race. It's a race which requires us to run it with endurance. And I want to say, it is not how you begin the Christian life. And I really feel this is a Rima word that I really feel God wants to speak to people here today. It is not how you begin the race that matters. It is not how you start. You can start all fired up for God, but it is how you end the race. That counts. And I know Jesus is coming so soon. And I feel like God is saying today, you need to tell the people how to finish strong. Because you know in a marathon, many people drop out. I ran one once, only once. (laughs) In Melbourne, when I was in the military and I was like this, I ran a marathon. And I know what it's like. And you see so many people sitting down. They start off and everyone's all fired up at the start they got all their, you know, fancy gear on. And then they're sitting down. Paul said, I'll, re- I'll just repeat what he said. He said, I've fought the race. i fought the fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me. Think about this. is what I live for. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on the day. And not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearance. He's appearing. Next verse says, Be diligent and to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me. Love this present world. So Paul speaks about running this marathon, speaks about if we finish well, there is a crown that Jesus Christ himself, an eternal crown of righteousness, which you going to place on my head. And you're going to place on your head if you finish well. And he said, straight after he speaks about running the race and finishing it, He says, but Demas has dropped out. Demas hasn't made it because love of the world got in and disqualified him. And what sobers me is when we go through this book, there are many, 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 many people who start out so hot for God, so committed to God, and they start out so well like Demas. Like Lot, like Samson, like King Asa. I could name a lot of the kings, particularly King Solomon. They start out, all these men started out so well for God. If you go to 1 Kings chapter, chapter 1, book of, the book of 1 Kings chapter 3, you see how Solomon... Uh, verse, he, he, he started off so well and he had a good start. God gave him a good start because he was fathered well. I spoke last week about the importance of fathers in chapter 2, verse 1 as the days of David drew near that he should die. He charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. That's what it is to be a man. That's what it is to be a true man is to keep the word of God. It is not easy. But a true man is not someone who is rough and rowdy or buff, but he's someone who is willing to keep the word of God. And his father taught him This is what you need to do, the most important thing you do. You know, before you go away, the most important thing you say to your children is the last instructions. And he said to his son, the most important thing is you keep the ways of God. Don't worry about success, don't worry about all the rest, but you make sure you keep God's ways. So this man was fathered well. And then the Bible says in in chapter 3, Solomon loved the Lord walking in his statue. So he was not only fathered well and and he was told to keep the word of God, but he loved doing it and he loved God. He had a relationship with God and he loved God. Because he loved God, he obeyed God. And then it says in verse 7, he was so humble and dependent upon God. He said, even though he was being made king, He said, you've made your servant king instead of my father David. I'm a little child. I don't know how to go out and come in. So he was humble and he was dependent on God as we're supposed to be. Saying, God, I don't know how to do this, but I need you. And God helped him greatly. And of course, we know Solomon went on to do great things for God. He built what David never built. He built the temple and he built the most extraordinary structure. People estimate today it was worth about $400 billion. He built it so well, and he built it with such standards, and he put the best in it. It was completely excellent. And he not only built it well, but he made sure when it was finished, it had the glory of God in it. So he did all things well, this man. And not not to mention the fact that he, he was so great for God, he wrote three books of the Bible. But you know, his life ends in such tragedy, because it says, in the end... God, in chapter 11, you see, God became angry with Solomon. God gave him wisdom and he gave him wealth. And then at the end, God was angry with him. Why was he angry? It says in verse 12, because he did not keep my covenants. He did not keep walking in the ways of God. Bible says here that Solomon... Uh, He took foreign wives, which he wasn't supposed to do. It says in verse 1, he married and loved many foreign women, Hittites from the nations. And then he he was told not to intermarry with them, but he did intermarry with them. And then it says that he he worshipped their idols. He worshipped the idols of his gods, and he did not fully follow the Lord. And what is so stunning about this, I said earlier in verse 3 of chapter 3, Solomon loved the Lord, but verse 11 starts by saying, Solomon loved many foreign women. And verse 2 says, Solomon clung to those in love. So he started off loving God, but he ended up, With God being angry for him, because instead of loving God, he loved women who were not of God, and he loved their idols. And when God tried to rebuke him, he clung to them. Because God will always come to correct you, but he wouldn't be corrected. He clung to them. And God said to him, because of this, he said, I would would have just disqualified you. But he said, because of this, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of your hand, give it to someone else. And I would have done it in your lifetime, but for the sake of David, I won't do it in your lifetime. And so here's a man that, that started so well, and, and again, he didn't finish his race. And I, um, I'm sobered because even the, the 10 tri- spies that were sent up to spy out the land, only two were any good. Only two finish well. And I'm so inspired by one of them, the, the, the old man Caleb, who was at 80 years old, is saying, at 80 years old, give me my mountain. Doesn't that inspire you? Give me my nation. Give me my mountain at 80 years old. That's why I love many people. But in this season, I know many of you are on fire for God here, but I've been so inspired by Gordon. Here he is. Ripe old age. Leading the evangelism team. Give me my mountain. Give me... What is it up there? Mount Mango. What's it called? Up there? Mangrove Mountain. Give me my mountain. Finishing strong. Jesus told the parable. It's a sobering parable. In Matthew 21, He told the parable. And, and it's... You know, we know the parable of the prodigal sons, but He also saw the, told a parable. This is the second... Less well-known parable of two other sons. And in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28, he says, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it, and he went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise, he. And he answered and said, I'll go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of the Father... They said to him, the first, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. But John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So in other words, he's speaking about John the Baptist. And he's saying, the response to John the Baptist, uh, the response to, there was two responses to John the Baptist. And, um, and the second group didn't receive John the Baptist, but then they relented and repented. And they came back, and, and they're all good. But the Pharisees represent the first people who go out to see John the Baptist, but they don't do what he says. But it's not only, it's, it's not only about that, it's about th- these two sons represent two different directions that life can take you. Two different directions. And the father in here, or the man who has the vineyard, is God. The vineyard is the harvest field. And and he says to these two people, go and work in my harvest field. Go and work for my kingdom. And one man says, I'll do it. But he didn't. Another man says, I won't. Then he did. So the man who says, I'll do it, but didn't, represents somebody who begins well and says, yes, I've heard the word of God, and I'm motivated, and I'm going to do it, and I'm committed. And then something happens. Something happens. Maybe he met somebody, attractive woman. Maybe he's offered a career opportunity, but something happened, and he got distracted, and he fell away. And the Bible speaks about two, three types of falling away. Jesus told a parable about three things: how they get lost, how they get away from God. First one was about a coin. No, it wasn't. It was about a sh- it was about a sheep, who this sheep got lost because. He fell away because he wandered away from the flock. Some people get lost. Some people fall away because they wander away. They just see things and they're not deliberate, but they get detached from the church. All of a sudden, they're not going to church anymore. They wander away. And Jesus goes after those who wander. The the, the prodigal son is about someone who walked away. That's not wandering. That's someone who said, I am going to deliberately walk away from God. And Jesus said, The father never went after him. You've got to wait for the prodigal to come to themselves. Have a moment of clarity where they say, this rotten life I'm living is not me. And you've got to pray that and then welcome them back. And then thirdly, Jesus told the the story about the coin that got lost. And the coin is an interesting one. Because the coin was a coin of great value, but it got lost in the house. And people, you can be lost in the house of God. You can be fallen away, and coming to church every Sunday. You can be fallen further and further. And this coin had—it's funny because they—they get the coin gets found, and they and they have to sweep the house and dust the coin off. When you're lost in the house of God, you gotta you gotta. Have your life swept clean of disappointment, unbelief, and, and just, just sweep it all out off your life and get back on fire with God. Because you are of great value to God and He wants to use you. He wants to spend you for His purpose. So the first son starts and, then he, and, and he falls away. Somehow, he says, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do all this for God. I'm going to serve God this way. I'm going to serve God that way. And he ends up not doing it. The second son is really interesting. I really relate to him. Because the first son, I think, someone like from a Christian home. But the second son is someone that's it's not familiar with Christian things. You never see the first son again. But the second son, he's what I call a late bloomer. And he's like Jonah. When God comes and says, here, I want to use you. I want to send you the vineyard. He says, no, I'm not going. Ha, <laughs> ha. I I was that boy. I remember going to a Baptist church when I was young and having a a, a very strong awareness that God was calling me and saying, I want my own life. And then I became like Jonah. Ended up in the belly of a whale. But that's another story. But the point is, you can start really good and end up really bad. Or you can start up really bad, and end up really good. I'm that guy. <laughs> uh, but it's really important. But Because why it's so important is I believe, I believe, you know, if you're that coin sitting in the house of God and you know you're you're lost in God's house, or you know you've wandered, or you know you're just not living the kind of life where you're not on fire for Jesus, where you're not wanting to be productive, when you're not living for Him and giving Him all your best. He's coming soon. I can hear the trumpet is about to blast, and He is coming soon. I'm telling you, He is. It's very important, very important, that we're running our race, running it well. Back to chapter twenty. Chapter 1 Corinthians 9, it says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, when he says run in such a way, that means you can't live this Christian life any old way. A lot of people think you can. You can just say, I've come to the altar and now I'm just going to live like everybody else and, and, and somehow going to make it. He says, no, you've got to run this race in such a, in a certain way. And then he goes and speaks about, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things they do to obtain a... a peri- but we go for an imperishable... Card. therefore I run this, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others I myself be disqualified. So he's saying you need to run this Christian race in in, in a way where you don't flaunt your freedom, you don't flaunt the liberties God's given you. Like Solomon, who loved God, but then he didn't protect his heart He started to look at those women. He thought, oh, I'm I'm free and God loves me and I can do anything. I'm so blessed. I can just live loose. And Paul says, if you do that, you're going to get in a whole lot of trouble. You're going to fall down. He says, you can't can't flaunt your liberties. You've got to continue to deny yourself, pick up your cross, self-denial, self-control. You've got to continue to live like that. Every day And even you know, Solomon was, was, was brought down by women, but he was also brought down by their idols. And you're going to be careful and be disciplined that things don't become idols, your career, your money, because what is what the idols themselves have no power, but all those idols have a demonic power behind them, and they can capture you and stop you being who God wants you to be. They can stop you from getting to your destiny. So Paul says, I run in such a way where I'm temperate and I'm disciplined and I don't flaunt my liberties so I don't disqualify myself and I become morally indifferent. Hebrews speaks about the same thing about running. Running the race and Hebrews chapter 12 says this, it says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses, let us lie aside every weight and the sin which easily enslares, let us run with endurance. So basically, he's saying here, let us, let us run with endurance. And you know, when you're running with endurance, and if you're an endurance race, you see someone who trains for a marathon, they're all stripped down. They're, 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 they're diet, so they're not carrying extra weight. And when they're going to run this marathon, they've just got these little nylon clothes on because after about 20 miles, everything starts to feel really heavy. Everything feels so, so heavy. And he says, We've got two things will ensnare you. That means capture you along the way. And he says, We'll lay aside the sins, they're obvious. But what's not so obvious, he says, again in chapter 12, he says, we, al- we lay aside every weight and the sin. Weight and sin are two different things. The sins are obvious. They make you fall. Sin makes you fall down. But there's weight which makes you slow down. And it can bring you to a halt. And the Hebrew word here, when it speaks about weight, the things that are going to slow you down and ensnare you. I believe the weights you've got to cast aside to run this Christian race. And I know it. I've lived it. The weights you've got to throw off are the weight of your past. You've got to throw off the weight of your past failures because they'll slow you down. They'll stop you moving forward. But you also got to throw away the weights of your past victories. And they may be more important to throw away. Because they stop you running. You say, well, I've done so much for God already. I I just, I've served God. We've done those crusades, we've done the plan of these churches. It's time to sit down and have a rest. So you got to throw away the weight. Of Past victories, past failures, but he also, what is another weight is, I believe, a great weight that people got rid of is anxiety about the future. Fear and anxiety, it actually paralyzes you. It just captures you. And you've got to throw away the sins, but you also got to get rid of the weights. They're going to slow you down. I remember distinctly when I ran this marathon race in Melbourne and uh, we had to train a long time to do it but I was in, um, I was training for officer, I was in officer training school at the time so we were like fit as bulls anyway and I'd also come back from uh, having trials in England for football so I was like oh, I was the fittest I've ever been and, uh, and, and so we were really really ready for this race. And, uh, and at the start of the race, it's amazing. When you go to a, a, a marathon race, everyone at the start is just so positive. Everyone's just being encouraged and everyone's being cheered on. There is so much optimism at the start of the race. They're giving you lots of drinks and they're giving you all this special energy. But everyone's just so positive at the start. Cheering you on. You feel so great. But after you get past about I forget what it is. You know, like, how, how, how many kilometers? Am I? I think it's about 42, isn't it? After you get past about 30 kilometers, the, the cheering fades. You, you don't think about the cheering. And in fact, your body starts to eat itself. You go through all the carbohydrate and then your body starts to eat into your muscle. It starts to lactate. And your body starts to sit. And it starts to get really painful really really painful and you've got to keep running with the pain you've got to keep running with the pain if you're going to walk the christian life you're going to know pain but the difference between pain being a christian and pain being a non-christian everyone's going to know pain but with a christian there's purpose in your pain You experience pain. God comforts you so you can comfort others. But there will be pain. And Paul knew pain. Paul says, I could only tell you. The times have been beaten. I've been abandoned in the sea. Shipwrecked. Whipped. Stoned. He says, in the running of the race, I knew pain. The the, the most painful part of this marathon I run, and I'm telling this story today through preaching this sermon through this marathon. The most painful part of the race was just when you come out of Carlton, there's a hill, and it's called Heartbreak Hill. If you do the Bondi Surf City Surf thing, there's another one there too. It's called Heartbreak Hill. And I remember, I, I ran this marathon like a snail. You know, like the tortoise and the hare. I I just wanted to finish. But I was going real slow. But I kept moving and I kept moving through the pain. And I remember we came to this place called Heartbreak Hill. And so many people, so many people were just sitting by the side of the road on Heartbreak Hill. Heartbreak Hill. And they couldn't continue because of the pain. And I'm here to tell you, if you serve Christ, you will soar to great heights, like riding a roller coaster. But there will also be lows where you will be disappointed. People will hurt you. People may betray you. People will let you down. People will accuse you. People say things about your own family can come against you. People may lie about you. People may promise you things and not deliver them. And I know so many believe. I know so many people who should be kicking great goals, who should be going on and doing great things, who should be living their best kingdom life now, who are sitting down because they say, "I tried to serve God, it didn't work out. I tried to serve God, and this happened. I tried to serve God, and this person did it before me." I want to tell you. You have to keep walking with God in the pain. Who, I, I don't know if you remember, just coming back to me, there's a, there's a great... There's a great uh, it used to be on television to promote the Olympics. And it's a picture of a guy... I forget his last name, but he was a guy who became really, really famous. And it w- people used to weep when they used to see this picture because there's a guy who was training for, I think it wasn't a marathon, it was maybe a 5,000, 10,000 meter race. It was a long distance race and he was preparing to go to the Olympics. And just before he went to one Olympics, it might have been the Sydney Olympics, he tore his Achilles. And so he had his heart set and he's trained for four years and trained since a young boy to get, get to the, the Olympics and... There he was, he tore his Achilles and he had a broken heart because his Achilles was torn. But he got back up and he trained again. And then he got to this this race in um, the next race, maybe it's Beijing, but he got to the next Olympics and he was one of the favorites to win. Everyone said, this guy's a great story, he's made a comeback and he's really strong, he's really fit. And then only like uh, two laps into the race, he tears his hamstring. Athletes don't do that. But what, the, the be, what became famous, and I, 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 you can still see it, this guy continued to run. And long after the race was finished, this guy is still running. And what the famous caption was, as he came up the home state, as he came up the home straight. His father came onto the track. And he embraced him. And he put his arm around him. And he helped him. All the way to the finish line. And this is what the Bible says. Even to your old age, I am he. And even to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made a way, and I will bear you. Even I will carry you, and I will deliver you. The truth is that those who say, even though it's hard, even though there's pain, I'm not going to sit down I'm going to keep taking one step more with my father. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to keep serving Jesus. I'm going to keep pushing into that harvest field. Uh, the truth is, when you have that mindset, there is a man who comes into your life. There's a man when it gets too hard, it gets too bu- who actually carries you, like a father carries a child. But you can sit down. You can sit down, and say. I've been through too much. Too much has happened. And not get to see the great things God has in front of you. So, Paul says you run in such a way to be temperate and disciplined, to s- get rid of the things that slow you down, to keep moving even when it becomes painful. And then he says this in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily slays, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before Him, who for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, despising the same, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Paul says the reason he was able to endure the pain, the shipwrecks, the betrayals, the beatings, the stonings for Jesus, he says, the reason I was able to continue to running with endurance is that my focus was right. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. And Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus didn't stop at Gethsemane. Jesus finished his mission. And you know, I think think focus is so important. Paul says, run this race, throw off all the weights, throw off all the sins, and while you're doing that, you're not even looking at the weights and sins, you're looking unto Jesus. The only time you get in trouble in the Christian life, is when your focus shifts from Jesus. Your focus shifts. The devil wants you to look at all sorts of things. The devil wants you to, to focus on all the trouble in the world. Wants to focus on all the conspiracy theories of the coronavirus. Wants that to be your focus. Wants you to focus on all the wars. All these things people get focused on. And that'll just slow you down. Knock you out. He says, fix your eyes. On Jesus, You know, there's just something about when you get up in the morning and the presence of Jesus comes into your secret place. And of course, we don't see him physically, but we do see him in the spirit. And he fills me with his spirit again. And I see his loveliness. I see his care. I see his tenderness. I see his humility. I see his power. And when you see him like that, you know the effect of it? You want to run for him. <laughs> you, when you've seen Jesus, you want to run for him. When you've been with Jesus, you want to run for him. And I say, don't lose your focus. Don't worry. You know, the devil, what he wants, he wants to show you all the things, all the things that are going to happen in the future, all the things that are going on behind the scenes, all the conspiracy theories, and make that your focus. That may be even true. But doesn't matter, Jesus is in control of everything. Keep him as your focus. Keep him as your focus. And you know what you, you know what your motivation is? Not only to be like him who is faithful and fruitful to the Father, but the focus, I think often about because I know he's coming soon. But the Bible says He's coming and His reward is with Him. His reward is with Him for everything you've done in the vineyard. For Him, through Him, every cup of water you've given to someone, every kind act you've done, every little bit of your life you've laid down for someone else. He's coming and there's a reward with Him. And the reward I want is simply, I want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. God said to me, I have a reward. It's in Revelation chapter 3. He's going to write his name on me. That's why I have no tattoo. He's going to tattoo me with his name. And he's going to bring me into this temple and I'll go out no more. That's my reward. He's got a crown of righteousness. He's going to, he's going to place upon my head. That's more valuable than any certificate. Any doctrine you cannot award, there is a crown of righteousness laid up. And when you see that, when you see what he's got laid up for you, everyone needs motivation. When the, when the race gets hard, when you hit Heartbreak Hill, everyone needs to be able to see not only a finish line, but the prize. Jesus is the prize, but he has a prize for you. And it's real. You've been faithful in a little, he's gonna give you much. You're gonna reign over cities for him. And here's what I feel like saying, church. He is coming. He is coming. Maybe some of you started well. Or you said you'd do it, but you didn't do it. (laughs) Maybe you some of you are tired. Maybe you, some, some of you, the pain of disappointment, pain of not seeing everything God promised now. But maybe some of you feel like sitting down before that. I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit gave me this word this morning, that He is coming. He is coming. You know, the world is about to go so black. There is a tribulation, but before that, He's going to take His church and He is coming. Now, listen to this. This is what I want us to do as a church. When, you, uh, when you're a really good marathon runner, which I certainly wasn't, but when, you, when you're really expert, they say when the, the, uh, when the marathon runners who've run along, when they, they run this all around the streets of the city, but about a kilometer before the finish, they come back into the stadium and they know by the roar of the crowd you can hear heaven roaring. You can, you can hear the witnesses roaring. They know that the, the end is near. And you know what they have? They have one final kick. They, they actually have a, a, a finish and a sprint, which is faster than they've ever done in the whole race. That's how we're going to finish. We're going to increase the pace. You know, Jesus said to me recently, I, he was showing me who I am in him. And he said, the, 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 the role I've given you, you're going into the world. You know, because everybody, he says, you, Jesus said, before he comes, it's going to be, church is going to be like virgins. You know, some will be ready, some won't. But the ones that will be ready have their lamps burning. And in those days, lamps had oil and they had a wick. And God said to me, he said, you know what I'm sending you to do? I'm sending you into the nations as my match. That's all. Yeah, that's all. You're going to light them up and they're going to stay on fire till they come. What a ministry. Church is coming. The only thing that matters is being ready, laboring in his kingdom, enduring, persevering, keeping your life free. Sin, temptations, getting rid of the weights which are going to stop you moving forward, weights of your past, weights of anxiety. It's not allowing the inevitable pain, the inevitable pain which comes towards all of us to knock you out and make you sit down. The world will say, It's okay, it's understandable. But Jesus didn't stop and Paul didn't stop and you're not going to stop. But you're going to continue and the key is to continually fix your eyes on Him. Continue to get in that secret place and look for Him in the Spirit. Look for His presence. And when He comes and you see Him, the only thing that happens He makes you want to run. Keep running, church. Keep running. finish line is near. The reward is glorious. There is a real crown, not only for Paul, not only for others, but for every believer who really perseveres, continues to live for Jesus until the end. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. As we look at the world, we see it getting darker. We see it getting darker. And we know that very shortly we are going to hear the trumpet blast. And Father, you are going to send your son the perfect time who's going to come on a cloud. And he is coming and he has a great reward with him. And Father God, I'm asking here now Asking here now, like Paul, we will run with endurance. We will fight that fight. We will run our race and keep running it. And we will keep believing you. We will keep the faith. We will continue to trust you for more fruit, for more open doors, for more healing, for more deliverance. And We will keep serving you, believing you, Trusting you. Preaching for you. Until you come. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Stand up, church. Stand up. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. He's here. Be here. Say to yourself, nothing's going to stop me. And if I have been stopped, I'm going to go again. And if I stopped running, I'm going to get myself back in the race. And He is going to give me a vision of my reward because they're personal. He's shown me what what mine is. He's going to give you a vision of your reward. And you're going to keep your eyes, not focused on everything that's happening in the world, but focused on from the coming of Jesus. It's soon. Be encouraged.